Welcome to the Sooners Extra Podcast, everyone. The Sooners Extra Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. I'm your host, Ryan Aber, here, as always, with Abby Bitterman. And, uh, Abby, let's jump right into talking about uh, Oklahoma football. We'll get into some other sports here in uh, segments two and, and, and three. But... Uh, Football, the season opener got a little bit more interesting today with, uh, we're talking on Wednesday, with the hiring of the Missouri State football coach, which I don't think any of us thought would uh, make much waves. Yeah, no, I mean, there was some excitement, excitement might be the right word, but interest last (laughs) night um, when, you know, two Yeah, I don't know that excitement. Excitement was was definitely the wrong word. It was was an error, (laughs) Um, but... I know outrage that, <laughs> would be more like I know it. that after the um after OU's basketball game last night against Kansas all the media kind of saw on Twitter the the options that were being floated that uh might be announced today Wednesday between Art Bryles and Bobby Petrino and there was a lot of maybe commotion is better. Yeah. You know, I wonder if the name Art Bryles wasn't just thrown out there to sort of soften the blow about Bobby Petrino that, oh, hey, that's not that bad. They they can hire the guy who, you know, had an affair and lied about it, but not the, the guy who covered up sexual assault. You know, maybe. It's an inter- interesting strategy. Because, yeah, late last night, uh, what was it, Football Scoop reported that Yes. Art Bryles was going to be the the uh, coach. And then shortly thereafter, it seemed like, there was a local report out of Springfield, Missouri, mm-hmm. that it would not be Art Bryles. It would be uh, uh, Bobby Petrino, who had a lot of his own issues at Arkansas. And otherwise, he's had uh, a lot of things come up that people might not find particularly savory about him. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, he didn't. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he wasn't anywhere coaching-wise this past season, right? No, he did not coach anywhere uh, last year after being fired by Louisville mm-hmm. um, the year before. So after they had a 2-8 and eight start, and I think they'd lost seven consecutive games when they let him go, his return to Louisville didn't exactly go as planned, although they did win a Heisman Trophy out of it. Uh, Lamar Jackson uh, won the Heisman a few years ago. At Louisville, but in the end, uh, Bobby Petrino's second tenure there ended uh, pretty unceremoniously. But should make for a much more interesting season opener, like you mentioned at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, there's not going to be much interesting to talk about this game once we get here. And uh, for those of you who are unaware, Oklahoma opens the season this season, 2020 against Missouri State at home on, uh, was it September 5th, I believe, is the I date? I believe, yes. Yeah, September 5th. Um, Missouri State is not only an, a, 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 an FCS opponent, they're a bad FCS opponent. Mm-hmm. They were 1-10 last year, I think. They won one game. So it, it's not going to be a, a, a very good uh measuring stick for Oklahoma no I would say that the Spencer Rattler era is going to get off to a very uh 
you know, he he's going to get to have some room to grow yeah. in his first start because the Missouri State isn't going to really challenge him much. Now, after that, it gets interesting, though, because uh, t- Tennessee is a team that finished this year really strong. I think there's a lot of people who are really high on the volunteers for next mm-hmm. next season, and they play. Uh, they come to Norman the next week, September 12th, to, to start the year. So that'll kind be of, a kind of bouncing back after some game. disappointing seasons. So yeah, no doubt about it. Which will be interesting because that's you know, sort of a lot of the same kinds of storylines that we saw the last time that. Tennessee came to Oklahoma when when Tennessee came to Oklahoma a few years ago the the narrative was that uh, Butch Jones was turning around this program and they were really about to do some good things that didn't wind up being the case uh, there in 2014 Mm -hmm. as as Oklahoma uh, beat Tennessee Tennessee the next season when Oklahoma went out there in 2015 was ranked but uh really struggled uh beyond that they lost to oklahoma and then lost i think what was it uh three out of their next five games after that and and fell out of the rankings and and never uh or climbed back in the rankings i guess after the bowl but hadn't before that but uh in in 2014 when oklahoma came when tennessee came to norman there's a lot of talk about how butch jones was turning around this program they were going to be really good and they they lost to Oklahoma and then wound up losing uh, what all told six of their last their next nine games mm-hmm. to uh, sort of crater didn't wind up making the Tax Slayer Bowl that year, <laughs> but Butch Jones uh, it, it didn't take long before he was out uh, there in in Knoxville. Yeah, and then I mean you mentioned uh, a tougher game after Missouri State and then after Tennessee OU goes to West Point to play Army, and we all remember what happened last time OU played Army. So they kind of start with what looks to be a pretty easy one, but with a little intrigue because of uh, the new head coach there. And then two probably tougher games for OU, I would think. Yeah, I'm not sure how tough that Army game is going to be. You know, Army took a a pretty big step back this year. Mm Mm-hmm. I think obviously had that game at Michigan early in the season where they were really pushed the Wolverines to the brink was really similar to their visit to to Norman the year before. But um, you know, I, I really like the job that Jeff Monken does there. I think he's a fantastic coach and a fantastic fit for Army. But I, I'm not sure how much of a challenge that game is going to be. I think to me, I circle that Tennessee game as mm-hmm. the one on the non-conference schedule that uh, could give Oklahoma some problems. But I think, I mean, based on the conversations about OU's non-conference schedule this past year, might be might be helpful that you can circle one that, that'll be a bit tougher. Oh, I yeah. Think. I think uh, there's no doubt about it. When you, when you look at Oklahoma's schedule this year with having UCLA being down – and and Houston really struggling after they decided to redshirt a, a handful of guys, and that sort of came back and bit them a little bit. Oh yeah, uh, with with De'Aaron King, and we can get into that here in a second. But 
Um, I think there's no doubt that Oklahoma's schedule next year is back toward being a plus and not a minus when you talk about uh, you know a potential uh, berth in the playoff and and things like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and for let's see, what was Tennessee's not Tennessee's not challenged much in non-conference schedule next year at all. Charlotte the week before uh, coming to Norman. Ooh. Uh, and then Furman the week after. So they got a nice little buffer uh, around the Sooners. And then uh, Tennessee also has the traditional SEC November non-conference game. Uh, yes. That's against Troy. So I guess Troy is their tough non-conference game this year. Interesting for choice. For the balls. Yeah. It... it, it really is um but abby it's also interesting to 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 follow who who's going to be the head coach at baylor Ah, now with with matt rule having moved on baylor's a team that you you look at that early october part of the the conference schedule for oklahoma next year and you circled those baylor and texas games as being tough for a couple of reasons. One, because of who those teams are, but two, because of the fact that you could potentially have uh, Ronnie Perkins mm-hmm. and, and Trajan Bridges um, and, and Ramondre Stevenson, although I think that one will affect Oklahoma a little bit less, uh, suspended for that game. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to follow – like. So far, it seems like some very interesting uh, head coaches have been hired in various places. So it'll be interesting to see who Baylor picks up. Yeah, and there's a lot of talk that it could be a former Sooner. Uh, Justin Fuentes' ah. name is uh, emerged as, as one of the leading candidates there. So um, I, I, I think Justin Fuente did a pretty good job this year at Virginia Tech and helping turn them around after they they had a really rough start. But uh, that'd be interesting to see if Justin Fuente would leave what I think is a better overall job for Baylor in a place that maybe geographically he's more comfortable with and, uh, you know, being back back in this part of the country as a guy who's from Tulsa and, and, and spent some time playing at Oklahoma would, would really be interesting. Now, we've talked about, uh, you know, the coaching searches um, and interest at schools on Oklahoma's schedule. How likely do you think we are to see any Oklahoma coaches get involved in not necessarily any of these jobs, well, but just in any jobs? This I, I'll tell you what, we're going we're gonna to pick up that question on the other side of the break. Okay, where, that, is a, uh, that is a teaser, so against the break stay, there. stay that, for that. That, uh... That's what you got to do in this business, right? Yeah. Just learn how to tease stuff. But we're going to take a break right there. We're going to be back on the other side with more of the Sooners Extra Podcast. The Sooners Extra Podcast, once again, is brought to you by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. Once again, I'm your host, Ryan Aber, 
here with Abby Bitterman. And, and Abby, you asked a question right before the break, and we'll get into it now. Uh, I guess ask again what uh, what, were, what you wanted to talk about. Yes, um, you know, a lot of a lot of coaches moving around in college football at this time of the year. Do you think uh, anyone from o- we could see anyone from OU go anywhere? You know, I'm not sure in this cycle that there will be. I know, obviously, um, that uh, Alex Grinch was talked about a little bit in relation to the Washington State job. Shane Beamer's name has mm-hmm. come up uh, in relation to some other, I don't want to say minor jobs, but, um, you know, not not Power 5 jobs. I think, to me, those two guys are the ones that are probably closest to being ready to be head coaches. Um, but I think it's certainly something interesting to watch. I think maybe next year if Oklahoma's defense is able to perform uh, in a better way uh, than they have, I think Alex Grinch's name, there's going to be a lot of momentum there for him to get head coaching jobs. I think certainly uh, Shane Beamer is going to continue to get talked about in that conversation. You know, one name – that I think is it's interesting to keep an eye on is Kale Gundy to see. And I'm not necessarily sure that it I, it would be a head coaching job for him, but if he's able to get a job, a power five offensive coordinator job mm-hmm. with play calling duties, surely there's going to be somebody before long who's going to come after him at least. And not that there haven't been, um, but I think in a, in a more serious way, in a way – you know, a team that maybe has a better chance of luring him away from Norman. Obviously, he, he loves it at OU. He's been there for, you know, since Bob Stoops arrived, he's been back in Norman. And uh, certainly, I think a lot of people think of him as a, as an OU lifer. But at the same time, I think that that could, at some point, lure him to, to give a shot to, to call in plays elsewhere. Yeah, and I think also when you talk about uh, Alex Grinch's name being in the mix for things, um, he's he's talked about and uh, Lincoln's talked about, you know, their conversations about him being a head coach in the future somewhere and how, you know, he kind of uh, has kind of seen how Lincoln Riley waited for the right opportunity and how that was kind of something, I guess, that he he learned from him, I believe, is something that yeah, we've heard him say before. You know, and that's something that Lincoln Riley's talked about, that, that Lincoln Riley has told Alex Grinch, hey, yeah. make sure you don't just jump at the first head coaching opportunity just to jump at it. There's going to be coaching opportunities that make sense for you. Wait for those rather than just making the first leap. Because if you remember, Lincoln Riley had a shot to leave uh, when when the Houston job came open, mm-hmm. and Houston really liked him, they they uh, I think at at one point at least were really enamored with having Lincoln Riley as their head coach, but it didn't didn't make sense fit wise for him to leave that time, and then less than a year later, Lincoln Riley is the head coach of the University of Oklahoma. Yeah. But so I think if I think if you know you're you're an OU fan, 
you can at least be comforted by the fact that that means that Alex Grinch, if if somebody did come knocking, it's not necessarily that he's gone with the first ask, you know? Yeah, and and that's I, what I think also will probably come into play with uh, Shane Beamer, mm-hmm. although I think with Shane Beamer, you could see him leaving for either a lesser head coaching job or an offensive coordinator with play calling duties. Mm-hmm. I think because of the fact that Lincoln Riley calls all the plays and everything, then there could be some of those assistants who wind up going elsewhere to have play calling duties to be able to prove themselves uh, for a head coaching spot. Although I, I, I think maybe Shane Beamer has to prove himself a little bit less than some other coaches because of his, his uh, family background and yeah. the success that his father had at, at Virginia Tech, but uh, you know it'll certainly be interesting to, to to watch out for. I think right now, my guess would be all of those guys would stick around though for next year. I think yeah. the one that'll be interesting to me is what happens with Ruffin McNeil. Does Ruffin McNeil stay in a in a coaching capacity? Does that change? Does uh, you know? Does something happen there uh, mm-hmm. to to uh, have a change in the defensive side of the ball, the staff? Yeah, I think that I'm going to be honest. Sometimes, sometimes I forget about Ruffin McNeil, but he's still he's still there. <laughs> he is still there. There's no doubt about that. And, and, and you know, everybody really likes him. I know, obviously, yep. he's a, a, been a big influence on Lincoln Riley's career. But he's the one who you think, uh, you know, maybe at some point that he decides to take a step back and move to either an off-the-field role or just retire because, you know, Ruffin McNeil is, what, 61 years old right now? Yeah. And you've got to think that that would be coming at some point. Oh, yeah, for sure. So the the other thing, Abby, on on the football front that – well, a couple things – uh, one, just as we're sitting down and, and recording this podcast, we get the news that Ryan Jones, news breaking linebacker, mid-pod. Has, has entered the transfer portal. I think this is just another sort of continuation of the overhaul of the defense in Alex Grinch's image that I know there's a lot of people who were really high on Ryan Jones when he arrived but it never quite worked out for him fit-wise. Mm-hmm. And I think certainly this year maybe was a little bit more even of a mismatch under what Alex Grinch, is, Grinch likes to do. Uh, Ryan Jones at, at, what, six foot two, I think. Uh, can't remember exactly what his, his weight is, but just didn't quite find a place in what Alex Grinch wanted to do defensively. Yeah, definitely. And so, I mean... I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but I know that's at least a few for OU in the transfer portal uh, so far this year. Do you, do you remember exactly how many? Uh, not sure exactly how many off the top of my head, but it's quite a few because what uh, Michael Jones is there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a couple other, uh, well, just looking at the 2019 signees, there's uh, Ty DeArmond. It, his uh, is already there. The defensive back, the safety. Um, let's see who else. Jonathan Perkins, linebacker, 
from that 2019 class also there. Um, and then let's see, 2018, there's a couple of those guys in as well. A couple of them that went in early in the season, if not before. Um, Jaqueline Crawford um, is there, and Starlin Baldwin, Miguel Edwards. I think, is that about it? I think so. So, yeah, there's there's quite a few guys in the portal, but I think there's there haven't been any that have just stunned me. Yeah. That that they were there just because, like I said, you know, we've talked about this quite a bit, but when Alex Grinch was hired, they only signed one guy after that, and that was Dave, David Aguebu, who played pretty significant time this year as a true freshman. So it's not a surprise that they they would continue to overhaul things and there'd be guys who just felt like the fit wasn't there for them uh, with this defense or guys that Alex Grinch and company went to and be like, hey, maybe it's better if you move on and, and find another place to play. Yeah, but, you know, that wasn't the only news today. Oh, it was. Uh, I was thinking about something else that we talked about talking about, but you know, it wasn't the only news today because Oklahoma got uh, their first 2022 commitment. Here we are in, in 2020. Yep. Uh, and we're talking about 2022 recruiting uh, a defensive guy, a, a outside linebacker from Lubbock, Texas, who had been committed to Texas Tech for a pretty significant period of time last year but uh, committed to Oklahoma, and that's a big get for them. They haven't – Rivals hasn't ranked the 2022 class yet, but um, from from everything that we've heard, he'll be at least a four-star guy and could potentially be a five-star guy. He's a, a very highly thought-of linebacker prospect, and, and that's certainly a spot where Oklahoma needs to uh, find some promising bodies for, for that class especially. So a strong start to the to the 2022 class. We're, yeah, they're no not doubt even, about it. Now it's still the, a long. The 2020 class isn't even over. A long time. It's almost two years before he can sign. Ooh, and he can sign in December of 2021. And we all know what happened. Well, with, yeah, we know what happened to the uh, longest term commit of the 2020 class, who waited until a couple <laughs> days. Or the day before signing day, right? Yep. To uh, decommit and wind up signing with Alabama. So we'll see what happens. Yep. But uh, Oklahoma. is a long ways away. Folks who follow Oklahoma recruiting are really fired up about uh, Kobe McKenzie for sure. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma still trying to finish up their 2020 class. Recruiting dead period ends, uh, <laughs> I believe, this weekend. So that'll uh, fire that up again. Oklahoma looking for for another body or two in that class uh, to, to round out things is for the February signing period, which is about uh, what? Two and a half weeks away. I think uh, be two weeks from next Wednesday. They've also got a junior day coming up, which is big because yep. Oklahoma only has two commitments for the 2021 class. One of those being Weatherford defensive and Ethan downs also uh, Richmond, Texas uh, wide receiver, Cody Jackson. So, That'll be big. I think there's a good chance we could see some more eyes tweeted by Lincoln Riley 
before long. When I think about the eyes, sometimes I get flashbacks to those tweets where you'd have like three or four eyes out (laughs) at a time and you're like, what is going on? Yeah, at least so far they've been easy to track, but I have a feeling that's about to change Yep. Uh, before long. So we'll we'll see what happens there. We're going to take another break and be back with some uh, non-football talk here on the Sooners Extra Podcast. Oh, you does we have gotta, other sports teams. Yes, they do. So uh, if you could, go to wherever, wherever you listen to your podcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever, uh, and leave us a review. We'd really appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening to the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. Once again, I'm your host, Ryan Aber, here with Abby Betterman. And Abby, like we said before the break, we're going to talk about some non-football things. we got to start with the return of Top Dog last night. We'll talk about the basketball game itself <laughs> shortly. But how was, the, was Top Dog's triumphant return to the LNC on Tuesday night? I thought it was great. People seemed to really enjoy Top Dog. Uh, I saw people taking a lot of pictures with it. Um, they, I, be, it was like about six or seven minutes before the game started, and they had he like emerged from like smoke out of the tunnel, ran across the court, did a bunch of you know classic Top Dog things, pulled his ears a bunch, uh, just. Uh, helped helped lead a boomer sooner cheer just kind of ran around and did did some of i guess the antics that he was known for before he went away so uh it was just it was fun it was fun to have top dog back and i think it i think it definitely brought some energy to the crowd at least at least for the start of the game did the woman who tweeted the picture of her with top dog when she was a a, a child was she able to recreate that with her her now uh, daughter Wow, that is an incredible question, and it's something I guess I'm about to find out live because because uh, I really wait. hope she did. Oh, kind of, but uh, her daughter looks a little bit afraid of Top <laughs> Dog. Uh, I think they will. I think they will try again, maybe when the daughter is. Has gotten to has know a, Top a Dog better, a little bit better. Better sense of who Top Dog is yes. and that Top Dog is is all right to be held by. Yes, but they did at least get a picture with Top Dog. Not not the same kind of a smi- big smile from from the child in the photo, but well, that's good. At least and, a picture. And for people who have no clue what we're talking about, oh yes, a little um, bit. <laughs> so. Katie No in 1991 when she was about two or three um, used to go to a lot of uh, OU sporting events with her dad who worked in the athletic department and she got her picture taken with Top Dog. Um, Top Dog is like holding her and she has a big smile and is giving a thumbs up and uh, she, when Top Dog was announced she tweeted out that photo and said she wanted to recreate it with her two-year-old daughter um, and it kind of kind of happened but if you want to if you want to know a little bit more about that story and the story of other top dogs and other fan memories of top dog uh you can read my story 
uh, about the return of Top Dog at Oklahoman.com. Or just, I guess, Google Top Dog. I'm sure it'll come up. Yeah, well, we prefer you Google Top Dog and Google Top Dog Oklahoman, and then <laughs> you'll get there right away. But, Abby, let's talk about the on-court performance last night as Oklahoma <laughs> falls to Kansas. Not as good as Top 66 Dog. 66-52. to 52. You know, for most of the first 32 minutes, Oklahoma got no production out of its three stars. Yeah. Uh, and Correct. When you talk about three stars, they're, they're three top scorers, which are, I, I believe, the only trio in the country to average – uh, is it fourteen and a half points or more per game? Uh, Are they now scoring the, some, wise? Some time, I, think, I think they might have dipped. I'm not sure what. Yeah. The, the but going they're, into they're last of, night's they're game, they're one of the only to do that. Yeah, going into last night's game, <laughs> I believe they were the only trio yes. in the country to be averaging at and least that. And that's Christian Doolittle, Brady Manick, and Austin Reeves that yeah. you're talking about. But uh, last night was rough for them to to shoot. What was it? Ten of forty three combined from the field. Yeah, and just OU had its in just as a team had its lowest um, scoring percentage of the of the well, season. yeah, and it was it shot only almost entirely fueled by them because yeah. oh yeah, uh, like, outside of those three, they were I'm going to do a quick, quick quick math here: seven for fifteen, eight for eighteen, nine nine for nineteen from the field, which is not bad, just a touch under fifty percent. But the the three of those guys. Uh, Austin Reeves really struggled, one for nine from yeah. the field, missed all five of his three-pointers. I believe he hadn't hit a three-pointer since the Big 12 opener. That sounds and, correct, uh, yes. Christian right. Doolittle did come on a little bit there late, but mm-hmm. still wound up finishing uh, just five for 18 from the field. Brady Manick made a seven. three with under a minute left. Otherwise, he would have finished under 10 points. Um, and only, and but he he finished only four of sixteen from the field. So a lot of and a lot of them they like their shots would be like some of some of the the shots were just were just bad looks. But a lot of them, you know, they would they would hit the rim and kind of just kind of just circle back out. Yeah, it was was not a good shooting day at all for Oklahoma. But but I thought encouraging that they hung around that game for. Like I said, 32 minutes until there's a big run by Kansas there in the last eight minutes of the game that stretched this out. Yeah. Until then, it was what it had hadn't been more than a six point margin until uh, a little under nine minutes left when uh, Moss hits a three and then Doolittle answers back with a three for OU and then that's when Kansas really started pouring it on with the uh, what was it? Yeah, I turned fifteen to two run. Yeah, I turned to uh, Barry Trammell, who was covering the game with me at one point, and I was like, "You know, I keep looking up at the scoreboard, expecting the margin to be wider, but OU defensively just kept kept holding it close." Um, I mean, I think uh, Brady Manick was tasked most of the night with defending uh, Azabuki, and he did. At some points, he did a fairly good job. At other points, you know, he's, as Buki's a much bigger guy, and he was able to kind of do what he wanted sometimes. But I think OU was also, maybe um, they had a missed opportunity in that um, Devon Dotson, the Big 12's leading scorer, 
uh, sat out the game. I think after getting a bit banged up against Baylor. Yeah, he and got just a he had hip some pointer. I think yeah. in the uh, yeah, and after I think the, it was early in that game. I think he tried to play in the second half, but yeah, and didn't after, last after very the long. game last night, Bill Self said that when uh, Dotson was going through like the shoot around on Monday and stuff, that he just like was still experiencing some pain and that where it was was just too much for him to like play through so yeah but uh udoka azabuki was a problem for for oklahoma last night you mentioned brady manic having to to contest with him <laughs> that's just a tough matchup for yep. brady manic and that's part of the problem with this oklahoma roster is contending with big physical guys on the interior is going to be difficult for them i think that's why that uh, kirkweth needs to you know, become a regular contributor yeah. on this team because he's the one guy with some size, although Queth is not going to be able to handle physically a guy like Azubuki very well. Yeah, Queth has Queth has a lot of size vertically, <laughs> but uh it, like Azubuki is just like the only word that comes to mind is thick, but not in like a not in a bad way, just like no, I mean, there's a lot to him. He's a, he's a big person. Yeah, and a, a great game by Azubuki last night, I thought. Um, let's see, what do you have? 16 points, 14 yep. rebounds, three blocks. Um, Kansas outscored Oklahoma on second chance points, 16-4. to four. Not exactly sure how many of those came from uh, – from Udoka Azabuki, but I know a pretty significant uh, amount of them did. Just like thinking from memory, yeah, it was a good number, a good, a, a, a high percentage, I would say, were him. Yeah. So what? Uh, I I think all of his points, if I'm not mistaken, at least in the first half, came uh, right at the rim. I think just about like, every point except for his uh, two free throws. Yeah, yeah. I think all of his his stuff came there right at the rim, and that late run from from Kansas what that did is it prevented Lon Kruger from doing what he did two years ago which was the hackadoke where they started fouling Azubuki sending him to the free throw line and really took advantage of that because when Azubuki got to the free throw line he wasn't hitting and then it got to the point where Bill Self had to take Azubuki out of the game and that uh, freed up the middle for Oklahoma to do some things and that uh, win against uh, the Jayhawks two years ago. Didn't have to deal with it last year because Azubuki, I believe, was hurt mm-hmm. for uh, the Oklahoma game, but never got to a point where they could try that strategy even if they wanted to uh, on Tuesday night. Yeah, for sure. It would just... I think, like, you know, they... Like I said before, you came out really strong, really strong defensively, and then like you mentioned in those last eight minutes, they really just kind of lost all their steam, any steam they may have had at any point. Yeah. So where does Oklahoma go from there, from here? There was some encouragement last night in the fact that they hung around with Kansas, even with all three of those guys struggling. I thought Davion Harmon yet again was a positive mm-hmm, for sure for the Sooners. But, uh, you know, Oklahoma, they're 2-2 two and two in this conference right now. This schedule, I'm not going to say it. Uh, well, TCU this weekend uh, on Saturday is, is relatively not easy, 
but it's not what they're going to face here uh, next Monday when they go travel to Waco uh, yep. e- either against a very good Baylor team. So Oklahoma, this, I think this magnifies Saturday's game, the importance of Saturday's game. To, yeah, I, w- uh, I would definitely say so. Get back on the right side of things. Yeah, I would definitely say so. It, it's, uh, And yeah, TCU has so far been one of the better teams in the conference, but um, also pulled off a couple of close wins, I believe. So if Oklahoma can can get a win against TCU, I think that would really help, especially heading into Baylor on Monday, where, like you say, that will be quite quite the uh, tough road game for the Sooners. Yeah, no doubt about it. But uh, we're going to wrap it up there for the Sooners Extra Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Once again, the Sooners Extra Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. You can check out our work every day at Oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoman for the best OU coverage anywhere. If you want to reach out to us for uh, any questions you have, we'll try to answer some on the podcast uh, here that we're going to do weekly here now that we're moving into football off season, You can reach out to me at R-A-B-E-R at Oklahoman.com or on Twitter at R-Y-A-B-E-R. I'm Abby Bitterman, and on Twitter it's just real simple, at Abby underscore Bitterman. Um, and you can reach me on email, abitterman at Oklahoman.com. All right, so once again, the Sooners Extra Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. We'll see you next week with a uh, another edition of the Sooners Extra Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us.